0: I'm going to invite you to open with me to Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4 and welcome to week 4 of our journey through the book of Jonah and it has been such a a blessing for me and I pray it has been for you as well as we have seen this picture that we are Jonah Um, and we're going to continue to see that today but also just see this picture of who God is and that God still is who he's always been. He does not Change. So the book of Jonah is a story about a man, a city, a big fish, and a God who is relentless in his grace. And as we've said and try to make it clear week after week that God is the theme of this book. His grace is the theme of this book. His mercy is the theme. And so this morning we come to the last chapter and we're today's going to kind of be the bad news Next week, we're going to finish off this series by looking in Matthew 12 at how Jesus is the better Jonah and what Jesus brings um, to this whole story. But today, is, I'm going to just tell you from the beginning, it's going to kind of be a, the bad part of this. It's going to um, hit us in ways that maybe we need to be hit by it. But before we recap kind of where we've been, I just want to lay two questions before you today. And when you are asked a question in church, it's always good for you to be honest because this is a good place to to be honest. So how many of you, if you would raise your hand, how how many of you have ever been disappointed with God? Anybody raise your hand? Anybody? So half of us have been disappointed with God. Maybe it was a childhood dream that was not um, fulfilled. Maybe it was a job promotion that we were passed over for. Maybe um, God didn't choose to use the story that we wrote for ourselves. Therefore, we are disappointed with God. But let me not stop there. How many of you would raise your hand and say that you have there's been a time in your life where you have been angry with God. Anybody ever been angry with God? So be honest. So if, if you aren't, if you say, I'm not angry with God, then the next question would be, have you ever lied to God? Um, which would be you probably right now. Um, but think about this, being angry with with God. Maybe you, you prayed for something and God didn't answer the way you wanted him to answer and you were angry about it. Or, or maybe God blessed someone else when you thought you should have been the one to receive the blessing. And there's anger there. And this is the this is the picture, or this, this picture of disenchantment, disappointment, disillusionment is, is where we come in Jonah chapter four. The end of Jonah is like a, a movie that we watch and it ends in a way that we didn't expect. And so we, we gave our time watching this movie, and it ends in a way that um, we didn't expect it to end. So, therefore, we're trying to process um, how it ended. We're trying to process do I really like it? I, I don't really know. I, I thought I did. Or it's like watching a movie, and the ending of the movie we hate. So, therefore, because we hate the ending of the movie, now we have to say, well, I, I liked it up until the last two minutes, but now I. Have to hate it all. And and so that's kind of the the picture here that we get to in the the book of Jonah. So let's kind of do a, a quick recap. So God comes to his prophet, and God wants Jonah to go to the wicked people of Nineveh and to proclaim a message of judgment, but at the same time a message of mercy upon them. But because of their wickedness and because of their cruelty, especially to the people of Israel, Jonah did not want to go. So instead of hopping on the first camel to Nineveh, he instead hopped on the first boat he could find heading as far away from Nineveh as as possible. And as Jonah 1.3 tells us, that Jonah wasn't just running away from the command of God, he was running away from the presence of God. Now, I love what Psalm 139 tells us. Psalm 139 says that we cannot ever run away from the presence of God. No matter where we go, God is there. But think about you spending 24 hours running as fast as you can away from God to get to your destination, and God is there. I mean, that's just the the picture of how our running with God normally works. So Jonah's on this boat. God hurled a storm upon this. It affected the boat. It affected the sailors. It affected the captain. The captain comes to Jonah and says, Pray to your God. Our prayers aren't working. Jonah has a conversation with the sailors. He eventually confesses to running from God as a prophet, And then, of course, man overboard. They pick up Jonah, throw him overboard. Um, The storm stops, and you think that would be the end of the story. But no, God appoints a big fish to come and to swallow Jonah. Jonah is inside the belly of this great fish for three days and three nights. And finally, in the midst of his stubbornness, finally after three days, Jonah prays to God, surrendering his will to to the will of God. And then, of course, when that moment happens, God calls the fish to vomit Jonah on dry um, land. And, of course, that word might sound rough, but it's in the Bible, so therefore we use it. But think about this. Jonah drenched in vomit on dry land, and that's not the end of the story. As we saw last week, God's word came to Jonah a second time. And last week, we rejoiced in the fact that we have a God who is the God of the second chance. Aren't you glad that God is the God of the second chance? Aren't you glad that God gives us chance and chances and and continue to do do that in our lives? But yet we also notice that even though God came to Jonah a second time, God's command to Jonah didn't change. The command was still clear, go to Nineveh. So God came to Jonah a second time and said, Hey, Jonah, when I said go to Nineveh, I meant that. I, I meant that, so I want you to go. So Jonah finally goes, he declares an eight word message. It's eight words in English, it's only five words in, in Hebrew, but the message is this forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Just imagine, what does that message do to us? Eh? That doesn't give us a great feeling, does it? I mean, that doesn't really speak to our emotions. That's not a great emotional response. We don't leave here going, man, it was so good to hear that word today. But that's the message that Jonah proclaims. And guess what? By the power of God and by the grace of God, God used those eight words to cause Nineveh to repent. This is the power and this is the grace of God. And think about this. Follow with me here. Therefore, The greatest miracle in the book of Jonah is not Jonah being swallowed by a great fish. The greatest miracle in the book of Jonah is a city who was dead in their trespasses and sins being brought to life. Okay, that that did nothing for us. And let me tell you why that doesn't do anything for us. I was talking to a a pastor a couple weeks ago, and the pastor, we were talking about India, and the pastor said, Oh man, tell me, tell me about the signs and wonders that are being done in India. And I said, well, let me tell you. I said, we're going over to India, and we're proclaiming the gospel. I said, the last time we went, we got to proclaim the gospel to 125 people who'd never heard the name of Jesus before. And he said, no, 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 not that, not that. No, the, the other stuff, the powerful stuff. And I said, um, the gospel is powerful. And sometimes what we do is we don't think of salvation as a miracle. For some reason, we think we've earned it. Or deserve it. And the really big stuff, the miracle stuff, is the healing and all those things. And here's the reality it doesn't matter what God does with your kidney if He doesn't save your soul. Just think. He can heal every kidney you have and then some. And yet, if you still die and go to hell, what good is that kidney? The point is, the greatest miracle in your life is not the fact that God healed your ingrown toenail. As bad as that can be, the greatest miracle in your life is that you were dead in trespasses and sins and God brought you to life. Amen? That is... Oh, come on. Amen? Amen. I'm preaching way better than you're amening, just so you know. So, just, just think about that. They're brought to life. And this would have been a great place for the book of Jonah to end. Revival happens, the end. But that's not where it ends. For God's not done. There's still a piece missing. Last night, I I was thinking about this. We're such in a better place as a family today than we were this time last year. Last year, we were celebrating about to celebrate Malachi's fifth birthday, and he was still in India, we were still here. Tomorrow, he turns five, and he's with us. And we are so excited about that. But last night, we celebrated his birthday. We had the family over. Um, Malachi, he loved the cake, he loved the ice cream, he loved the presents. So he loved all of those things. Now, us singing happy happy birthday to him, he didn't like um, too much at, at all. But So we bought him a big wheel. And to my dismay, when I opened the box, it was in pieces. I mean, come on. As much as I paid for that stupid thing, they should have put it together for me. So I opened the box and said, happy birthday. And it all fell. And I'm like, ah, that's not the way it's supposed to happen. So myself and my father-in-law and Malachi began the process of putting, some of you know where this is going, the process of putting this big will together. So we go through all the steps and we have it together except for one screw. One screw. We can't find the screw anywhere. I'm asking Malachi. Malachi, have you seen the screw? You know, he's looking. No, nope. Don't know. And he just goes on about his way. And so we're looking. I'm looking all over the floor. Finally, my father-in-law picks up the big wheel and shakes it. And sure enough, within the belly of this hollow tank of a big wheel is a screw. The one missing piece that we needed is inside inside the big wheel. Now of course being in my great patience, I take the thing and just start shaking it, and I said, let's cut a hole in it. Let's just cut a hole in it. And finally, I have to give credit where credit is due. Madison was able to get it out because apparently she has more patience than her father does. But but think about this. Follow with me here. Get the, the point of this story. The missing piece was inside. The reason God's not done with this story is because there's still a piece missing. Jonah has submitted his will to God in Jonah chapter 2, inside the belly of the fish, but Jonah had not yet had his heart captured by the things of God. God was still after his heart. God wasn't just after the heart of the people of Nineveh. God was after the heart of of Jonah. I love the words of Dr. uh, James Montgomery Boyce who says this, Jonah is a warning that it is possible to obey God but to do so with such a degree of unwillingness and anger that so far as we are concerned, obedience is not better than disobedience. We often act the same even when we're apparently obeying God. We are doing what we think we should do or be doing, living the kind of life we think a Christian should live. But secretly, we are unhappy and angry with God for making the requirement. And the point is, brothers and sisters, sometimes we can do the right things. We can do the things that we're supposed to do. But we don't do them with a heart that is captured by the love and grace of God. We do them by a heart that is pretty much just ticked off with God that he would even ask us to do it. And it's just the same as Disobedience. It has been said that the book of Jonah can best be described in this way. In Jonah 1, Jonah runs from God. In Jonah 2, Jonah runs to God. In Jonah 3, Jonah runs for God. And in Jonah 4, Jonah runs up against God. And so this is where we are today. Jonah runs against God or into God. And we're going to dive into this last chapter and look at these 11 verses. And I pray that God is going to reveal some things to us today that we really, really, really need to get. So, if you're able, if you can stand with me as we read Jonah chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, and it says this. Hang on, first of all, when you get there, you say, or youth, there we go. I've been wanting to do that since Wednesday. Okay, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Let's pray. Father, we come to your word. Speak to us, we pray. Lord, move in our hearts and lives by your Spirit. Help us, God, today, Lord, just to have things in our lives that need to be chipped away. Lord, may they be chipped away by your word and spirit. Help us to obey you, oh God, in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So just think about this. Jonah had proclaimed this, this message, and the, the people repented. And Jonah chapter 3, verse 10 ends that God relents. He has compassion. He doesn't destroy the people of Nineveh. And you would think, so think about that. Jonah 3 ends. God has compassion. You would think that Jonah 4 would begin and Jonah was rejoicing with the angels in heaven. And that would be a good way to begin, right? Jonah's rejoicing over what God has done, but that's not how it begins. Instead, it begins, but it, meaning God's mercy towards Nineveh, displeased Jonah exceedingly, and Jonah was angry. Jonah was disenchanted because God extended mercy to a people that he thought deserved no mercy, only judgment. And the question for us today is why did Jonah respond the way that he did? Why did Jonah respond being so ticked off with God? And I think we could kind of give three reasons as to why. Maybe, number one, maybe Jonah was worried about God's name and God's honor. Maybe Jonah was worried about God. Jonah was worried that, God, you said you were going to do this. You didn't do this. You're going to look bad here. I'm just worried about you. But we know that can't be true because what God did in Jonah is what God did all throughout his word. God gave a warning. If people repent, according to Jeremiah 18, if I give a warning and people repent, I will relent. I will have compassion. This is the nature of God. So then, maybe the reason that Jonah got so ticked off is because Jonah was worried about his own name and his own honor. Maybe Jonah was saying, God, I gave the word that you told me to give. You changed your mind, and now I look like a fool. You ever been there? You ever been mad at God for making you look like a fool? Okay, you have. Well, I have. (laughs) Many times, I've been been there. um, I could have the t-shirt on. God has made me look foolish so many times, and sometimes we can get angry at that Because we're worried about our name, worried about our honor, worried about ourselves. And we could probably sit there and go, well, that's probably the reason or one of the reasons. But I think this next one is probably the best. The reason Jonah was probably ticked off is because Jonah could not love what God loved. Jonah just could not love what God loved. So because we are Jonah, that's what we've been saying every week, we are Jonah... Instead of just giving you three truths found in in Jonah 4, what I want to do is I want us to be confronted today with three questions that leap off the pages of Jonah chapter 4, questions that I believe will determine our individual um, lives and direction of our individual lives and future, but also our corporate lives, the direction of us as a church, where we are going. I think these four questions will help determine where we go from here. So let me just unpack these three questions With you today. The first question is this Are we unaware of the grace of God upon us? So, question number one Are we unaware of the grace of God upon us? Are we unaware of God's grace? Think about this. When we think about chapter four, God or Jonah is displeased and he comes to God and he says, God, this is why I told you. So, apparently, there was a conversation before. Jonah just didn't run from God. There was a conversation. So Jonah says, "I told you, God I told you, this is what I said, I knew you were going to be gracious. I knew you were going to be compassionate. I knew you were going to do this. And then Jonah says, "I knew that you were gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So God was, or excuse me, Jonah was ticked off because God forgave Nineveh. So guess what Jonah does? According to verse two, he prays. There are only two times in the whole book of Jonah where Jonah prays. One is when he's in the belly of a fish, trapped and has nowhere to go. Second is when he's ticked off with God. And I thought about this. Do those two prayers sum up your prayer life? That you pray when either, number one, you're in a really bad spot and you have nowhere else to turn to, or secondly, you're just ticked off because God didn't do what you wanted him to do? Is that a picture of your prayer? I pray there's a whole lot more in the middle of that. But um, sometimes that's where we are. And, and I pray that God does something there. But what I, I want us to, to look at today, I want us to feel the depth of, of Jonah's emotion and how passionate he is in his anger. Jonah was, was angry because God was true to God's character. Jonah was ticked off because God was doing what God does And God Jonah didn't want God to do what God does. One commentator put it this way, Jonah was actually wanting God to suppress his own natural inclination to show mercy wherever possible. It was not simply the case that Jonah could not bring himself to appreciate Nineveh, get this, rather, to a shocking extent, Jonah could not stand God. So in this moment, Jonah wasn't just ticked off at Nineveh, and just couldn't stand Nineveh, Jonah couldn't stand the fact that God was being merciful and gracious to Nineveh. Jonah resented God for having mercy on the wicked. And let me just stop there and say this, that's the only people that God ever has mercy on. For God never has mercy on the the deserving. And let me just say this, there is no such thing as a deserving person when it comes to the mercy of God. Let me say it again. There is no such thing as a deserving person when it comes to the mercy of God. If you deserved it, it wouldn't be mercy. It wouldn't be mercy. I told, last Sunday night, I, I told, um, it's really bad living in my house. Because when my kids, daughters right now, Malachi eventually will, when they say things like, but dad, I deserve that, I always go, no, 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 you deserve hell. Let's, let's start there. That's what you deserve. So everything else is a blessing. You deserve hell. Everything else is just an added bonus. So let, let's start there. Parents should to try it sometimes. It's a great way to just um, either just escalate the situation even worse or it's a, it's a way of, of starting in a, in a place where it needs to start. But just follow with me here. There's no such thing as a deserving person when it comes to God's mercy. So if Jonah is going to bring up the mercy of God, he shouldn't be complaining. He should be grateful for follow with me. What character in the book of Jonah received a bunch of grace from God? Jonah did. If any character received grace from God, it was Jonah. Yet in Jonah's anger, Jonah was overlooking God's previous grace towards himself. Jonah doesn't see where he compares with the people of Nineveh. Jonah's thinking to himself, my sin can't compare to theirs. The people of Nineveh, they're adulterers, they're idolaters, they're murderers. I haven't done any of that. I'm not near as bad as they are. You ever done that? You ever found yourself comparing yourself to somebody else going, I'm not near as bad as they are. But think about this. What was Jonah guilty of? Jonah was guilty of shaking his fist at God and saying no. That's what Jonah had done. In fact, in week one, we said we are never further away from God than when we're close to him and say no. Never further away from God than when we're walking close to him and we say no. But think about this. Follow with me here. What Jonah did at the beginning of Jonah 1 is a picture of the original sin of man, the one that damned the whole human race. What sin was that? It was a sin of saying no to God, rebelling against God, God giving a clear command to Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve instead looking at God and saying, no, we're not going to do things your way. We're going to do things our way. And that one sin of Adam and Eve led to all the pain, all the suffering, all the corruption that came into the world. That one sin damned all the human race. And guess what today, brothers and sisters, we're all guilty of it. We're all guilty of it. Every single one of us in this room has looked back at God, the holy God, our creator, and we have told him, no, no. We have all done it, every single one of us. So therefore, Jonah deserved condemnation and punishment when he ran from God, and instead, God gave him a second chance. Jonah received life instead of death. But now what Jonah wants for Nineveh is their death instead of their life. Does that sound familiar? Jonah received life instead of death. But now when he's hurting a little bit from these people, he wants their death instead of their life. And sadly, you and I, we operate in the same exact way. In the words of Luke 7, Jesus is talking in Luke 7. Listen to what Jesus said. You who have been forgiven little, love little. And what Jesus is doing, and then he says, you who have been forgiven much, love much. And the point is, if we only see ourselves as being, or having been forgiven a little by God, we'll only love him just a little bit. But if we see ourselves as being forgiven greatly by God, we will love him greatly. What do you see in your own life? Do you see a God who has forgiven you just a little bit because you're not that bad? Or do you see a God who has forgiven you greatly? because you have rebelled against the holy God of the universe. Just like Jonah forgot his own rebellion, so, so we often forget our own rebellion. Just like Jonah forgot how gracious God was to him, so we often forget how gracious God is to us. But yet, when we remember our past and even our present, and we remember how gracious God has been to us, guess what's going to happen? When we remember how good God's been to us, we're going to rejoice when God does what He does to the people of Nineveh. That's what's going to happen in our lives. The people who have received grace are the ones who realize we need to give grace. The question for us is, kind of the thought is, if you see yourself as is basically a worthy person, then you're going to get resentful when God forgives someone else who's way worse than you, and you're going to be really, really resentful when God asks you to care about them. If you see yourself as a worthy person, but if you see yourself as a sinful person in need of the grace of God, God's compassion to you is going to be your most precious attribute And you won't be able to wait to share it with someone else. Are you in this moment ignoring the mountain of God's grace that he has poured upon you? Are you forgetting that? Are you forgetting how good he has been to you? Are we unaware of the grace of God upon us? Which leads us to the second question, which is this. Are we unmoved by the needs of the world around us? So the second question, are we unmoved by the needs of the world around us? And this is about to hurt a little bit. This is about to hurt just a little bit because here's what's happening. God comes to Jonah and God asks him a question. Do you do well to be angry, Jonah? And what Jonah does, it tells us in verse 5 that Jonah gets up and he leaves. He walks away from the question of God. He goes out of the city. He places himself on a hill that he can look down upon Nineveh. And it says that he should see what would become of the city. I'll explain that in just a second. And then it says, Then the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. So God asked Jonah a question, he runs away, he's looking over the city, but look at what he's doing. What he's doing, he's looking over the city and he's hoping for one of two things. Either number one, he's hoping that Nineveh would stop repenting, that Nineveh would go back to their old ways and that God would boom, bring judgment, or he's hoping that God would stop being merciful and God would just send a lightning bolt down from the sky and just, you know, boom, blow them off of the face of the earth. It's what he is desiring. It's what he is wanting. And think about what God does here. God doesn't come to Jonah and say, Jonah, you're a fool. Jonah, what are you doing? Instead, Jonah comes, or God comes to Jonah and brings a plant. He provides a plant for Jonah, a plant that gives him comfort, that gives him shade, and Jonah is rejoicing in it. I love the book of Jonah. If you, if you read it and just pay attention to some of the wording, you'll realize that the word provide of God providing is all through the book of Jonah. In Jonah chapter 1, God provided a storm. He hurled the storm. He provided a great fish. In Jonah chapter 4, God is providing um, a plant, then God provides a worm, then God provides a scorching heat all the way through this. And the lesson here, hear this, the lesson here is that the God of the comforting plant is also the God of the great fish and the worm. The God of the comforting plant is also the God of the worm. The God of the, the God who comes to us and comforts us is also the God who convicts us, also the God who corrects us. This is our God. And it's amazing when you think about the recurring theme through the book of Jonah is destruction. But when you get to the end of the book, the only thing in the book of Jonah that had been destroyed was a plant. Just let that sink in. Theme, destruction. Get to the end of the book, the only thing that had been destroyed was a plant. Yet the question we have to ask ourselves, and just stay with me here, here's the question, why would God give Jonah comfort? Only to take it away from him? Why would God produce or provide a plant only to provide a worm to kill that plant? Why would God do that? And are you ready for the answer? And I think there's, I believe there's a twofold reason why God would give comfort only to take it away the next day. First reason is I believe that God did this in order to show us that God is not ultimately after our earthly comfort. That God is not ultimately after our earthly comfort. Many of us in this moment are way too comfortable. We have our shade tree. We have our drink with the umbrella in it. And we have lost sight of the fact that Jesus didn't just come to comfort the afflicted. Jesus also came to afflict the comfortable. So Jesus did not just come to comfort the afflicted. He also came to afflict those who were comfortable. And there are times that we need to be afflicted in our comfort because oftentimes it's not our discomfort that makes us drift from God. It's our comfort. Things are going really, really good in our lives and therefore we don't trust God or depend on God like we should. Be very, very, very careful, brothers and sisters. And please hear my heart in saying this. Be very careful when you say, God has given me an amazing blessing. And yet that blessing is standing between you and your relationship with God. Be very careful about that. Be very careful about calling something that's actually cursing your relationship with God a blessing. Because in those moments, sometimes we have to understand the enemy can bless us too. The enemy can bring a blessing too. We've got to be very, very careful about what we call the blessings of God, But then I think the second reason that God would give comfort and take it away, and this, is, this one's going to hurt a little bit. I think God did this in order to show that our perceived needs are not greater than the needs of the lost world that we live in. Our perceived needs are not greater than the needs of the lost world that we live in. Notice what Jonah does here in Jonah chapter 4. Twice in this chapter, Jonah responds to God by saying, God, I would rather die than to live without what I want. Think about this. Don't don't end too soon on me. Don't don't quit too soon. Jonah's standing before God twice and says, just kill me. You're not going to give me what I want. Just kill me. And then stop for a second and think about what is it that Jonah wants. And what he wants is he wants Nineveh to die. He wants them to be destroyed. He wants them to be punished. So God, Jonah is saying in this moment, God, if you won't punish them, if you won't kill them, then just go ahead and kill me. In this moment, Jonah's needs were the only needs that mattered to Jonah. And when Jonah's needs weren't being met, Jonah wanted death. And let me say this very clearly, church. I'm going to say it clearly so you don't misunderstand a word I'm saying. If your and my perceived needs, what we want and what we prefer for this church is more important than the needs of the lost world around us, meaning their salvation. So if our needs are greater than their needs, then we want death too, the death of the church. When our needs become greater than the needs of the lost world, then we're saying, just like John of God, just kill us. God, we'd rather you kill us as a church. We'd rather just die here than than for you to save them and us have to give up our comforts. Or let me say it this way. If you believe that the mission of the church is to keep saved people happy, then that mission, the one you prefer, will lead to lost people staying condemned. But let me say it again. If you believe that the mission of the church is to keep saved people happy, then that mission will lead to lost people staying condemned. Is that really? Do you really believe that that is the plan of God? Do you really believe that that's the mission of God for this world? That God came to send his son, Jesus, to die for our sins so we can gather together and just be comfortable and just think about us? Is that the eternal plan of God? I don't think any of us in good conscience can say, that's got to be it. No, we know there's got to be more than that. Are we unmoved by the needs of the world around us? Which leads us to the last question, which is this. The last question, are we unresponsive to the heartbeat of God in us? Are we unresponsive to the heartbeat of God in us? If you are a child of God in this room, you have the spirit of God in you. And that spirit of God, his heart is beating for a purpose. And either we as children of God are picking up on the heartbeat of the Spirit of God or we are unresponsive to it. But here's what I love. God gets the first word in the book of Jonah. And guess who gets the last word? God. And let me tell you something in case you haven't figured this out yet. God gets the first word in your life. And guess who gets the last word? God. God. He gets the last word. God gets the last word over every detail, every situation, every circumstance of your life and my life. God gets the first word and he gets the the last word. So God comes in this moment. And look at this. Look at beginning at verse 9 all the way to verse 11. Just see what's happening here. It says, but God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? Just stop there and just think about that comical question. That's like you getting mad and angry, and let me just use a, a Jordan Chambers word, losing your sanctification over not getting your french fries and your, your value meal. And you losing your sanctification and God's saying, are french fries really that important? God is saying, is the plant really that, some of you are going, yeah, I love french fries. No, you're, you're missing the point. That wasn't my intended purpose. Is the plant really that important? And then it says this, and he being Jonah said, yes. You're following with me? Yes. The plant is that important. Are french fries worth all this nonsense? Yeah, they are. Of course they are. And then in verse 10, and the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, or did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night, Should and should not I pity Nineveh? When we talk about the heartbeat of God, we have to acknowledge and remember that God is a God with a compassionate heart. The only reason we are here today is because God's heart is compassionate and gracious towards us. In fact, let me go a step further. The Bible says that God... His heart even moves towards those who are his enemies. And that's good news for us because according to Romans chapter 5, we were at one time his enemies. We were at one time enemies of God, but by his grace we have been saved. Therefore, we should be compassionate for what God is compassionate for. Four, our hearts should reflect the hearts of God. So God says to Jonah, Jonah, you pity yourself. I pity sinners. Jonah, you care about a plant. I care about people. In fact, Jonah, I care about people just like you. 120,000 people, as a matter of fact, who are lost and don't even know the difference. And then listen to the question of God. Listen to how this this whole book ends with a question. Jonah, should not I pity Nineveh? Should I not pity them? Can you imagine us getting to a place where we would look back at God and say, no, God, you shouldn't pity them, you should pity me. Can you imagine us getting to a place where God says, should I not pity your neighbor, your coworker, your family member who drives you absolutely insane, or the people all the way at the ends of the earth? Should I not pity them? Can you imagine us getting to a place where we go, no God, you shouldn't pity them. You should continue to pity me and me alone. That seems absurd, but that's what Jonah is doing. Which begs the question, how does the book of Jonah end? What is Jonah's response to this heavy question? Look at your Bible. Let's see how Jonah responds. So look at verse 12. Look at verse 12 to see how Jonah responds. Okay, there is no verse 12. We don't have a good job. We don't have a response of Jonah. It's just the end. The book ends with a question. And we go, that's not the way a story like this is supposed to end. You don't end a story with a question. It just doesn't make sense to end it that way. So we have to ask the question, did Jonah ever get it? Does, does he get it or does he stay where he is? Does he get it? And here's what we, we know. Most scholars believe that Jonah wrote this book. So therefore, Jonah is writing this book and he's ending with this question. It probably means that he got it. That he finally got it. It might have took him a long time, but he got it. He finally got it. That God should pity, have compassion on the people of Nineveh. But I also believe that the reason Jonah ends with a question is because it's a question that we have to answer. And the question is, hear this brothers and sisters, do we get it? Do we get it? Do we get the needs of the community that we live in? Now, we if we were to write down a list, we would have a plethora of needs in our community, but all of those needs lead to and point to a greater need. They need Jesus. Do we understand and care about the needs of our nation? When we think about events such as yesterday, let me ask you a question. Is our first inclination to get political and to point everybody to our political point of view? Or is our first inclination is to understand that it is the power of God and it is the gospel that leads to salvation your and my political view cannot bring one person into the kingdom of God only the gospel can do that so what are we doing in that moment in that moment do we understand the needs the the greatest need of our nation is not for them to think like you that's not the greatest need of our nation you're not the gift of our nation Our, our nation's greatest need is Jesus it has and forever will be And then that begs the question is, do we understand the needs of the world that we live in? When was the last time you were reminded that we live in a a world where over 2 billion people, 2 billion individuals exist who have never heard the name of Jesus? You know, we come into gatherings like this, and we spend a lot of time as the Western church rejoicing in the fact that Jesus is going to come again. When almost half the world exists. They don't even know that Jesus has come the first time. We talk about his second coming. They don't even know he's come. They They don't even know he's come the first time. And we're celebrating the fact that he is coming again. And I want you to think about this. These are individuals just like you and me. Made in the image of God. They experience pain and sadness and fear just like you do. I remember my first time in Haiti, poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. And I had took over so many stupid American mindset over there that somehow we love our children better because we can give them more. And I, I remember God just breaking my heart when I see these Haitian moms holding these little babies. they were skin and bones and I'm thinking to myself, God began to break my heart. They love their kids just like you do. They want the best for their children just like you do. People who know what it's like to experience fear and to be hungry and to feel hopeless and alone. People in this world who they're going to hell is just as tragic as if it was us. And the problem is they're going to hell without someone telling them that a Savior has come. Do we really believe, just think about this today, brothers and sisters, do we really believe that every one of us who is on this side of heaven deserves the gospel to everyone who is on this side of hell? Do we really believe that? Do we believe that those of us who are on this side of heaven, meaning that God is still letting us live here on this earth, that we owe the gospel to everyone who is on this side of hell, who God is still letting them live, God is still having By mercy upon them. Do we really understand it? Do we really get it? Which begs the question, are we unresponsive to the heartbeat of God? Do we only care about ourselves, our needs, and our comforts? Or do we care about the wants and the mission that God has placed before us? Are we holding tight to our desires in this world? Is it about us or is it about Him? Are we forgetting the grace of God over our lives and how good God has been. I love the words of Charles Spurgeon who says this, If there be any one point in which the Christian church ought to keep its fervor at a white-hot heat, it is concerning missions. If there be anything about which we cannot tolerate lukewarmness, it is in the matter of sending the gospel to a dying world. If we should give ourselves anything, it should be taking the gospel to a dying world. The book of Jonah shines the spotlight on God's incredible mercy, love, and grace, get this, for humanity, for all of humanity. While at the same time exposing our hearts or places in our hearts that don't line up with the heart of God. So there are places in your heart and my heart that don't line up with the heart of God, which begs the question is, will we join our hearts, our souls, our minds, our being with the heart of God in the mission of God all for the glory of God? Will we do that or will we be like Jonah, sit here in our hammocks with our arms crossed, fussing and fighting because we want God to make this whole thing about us? When God has already told us from beginning to end, it will never be about us. It will always be about him. And the sooner we get on board with that, the happier we will be. Let us join ourselves to the mission of God for the glory of God. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask you musicians to come forward. And we are about to enter into a time of invitation. We're asking whatever God is telling you to do, that you would you would do it all for his glory. So let's pray. Father, we Come before you in this moment, God, this heavy moment, Lord, this heavy word. Lord, all we want to do, God, is we want to be very clear of what your word says. Lord, if we read it, God, as your word has declared it, we will, as James says, we will see ourselves very clearly in the mirror of your word. So help us in this moment, God, as we are looking at ourselves very clearly in your word to ask the question, Have we forgotten how much grace you have poured upon us? Are we living for our own comforts or are we living for the needs of the world around us? And will we silence your heartbeat in us that is beating for the lost and dying world around us or will we begin to hear that heartbeat and will our hearts begin to beat along with yours. God, that is our prayer, that is our questions, God, that will determine where we go from here. God, help our heartbeats to beat along with yours. Finish this time today in Jesus' name.